Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. For more information about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, visit us at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening his word. All right, good morning. My name is Brad. I'm the campus pastor here, and, and I'm delighted to be with you. And there's also a good friend of mine, Danny, who is standing in the, the, the wings here. Um, this is a special morning for us. Um, Danny is going to be, Danny Ribeiro is going to be installed as a deacon here at TDC. So uh, in accordance with Acts 6 uh, in the Bible, deacons are implemented as uh, trusted and honored servants. And Danny is a man who ever since the beginning of this campus has been a faithful servant, a leader of leaders. Uh, he leads on the AVL deck. So you may not, you may not know Danny or, or, or even meet him, but you feel his presence and you feel his work uh, on your behalf. And so he labors for you. And so uh, in accordance with 1 Timothy 3, where deacons are to be uh, scripturally qualified, we have uh, put Danny to the test and, um, and he's been found approved. And so by God's grace, we get to install him this morning. And I'm just so excited. I love you so much and I'm grateful for you. So uh, we just want to pray for Danny now and, uh, and thank God for him. Father, we thank you. We thank you that um, you sent your son and that Jesus, by your sacrifice, uh, you redeem people and this people that, that you call to yourself, that you pay for, um, is the church. It is your bride, it is your body, and, and you said that, that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And part of that is bolstering, strengthening your church by bringing men like Danny to be deacons, to be servants, and to uphold and enable the ministry of your church. And so we're thankful. Uh, we thank you for him. We pray that you bless him and keep him and make your face to shine upon him, that you would be gracious to him, that you would lift up your countenance upon him and give him your peace. And so bless him in his work, bless his family. May he be overjoyed um, in serving you, Jesus. We pray this in your name, amen. We love you, Danny. Um, one more quick announcement before we get started. Um, we have baptism coming up, so this coming week. Um, and if the Lord has been stirring in you to be baptized, baptism does not save you. It declares what God has done in you. Um, but we want to invite you to, to consider that, to pray through that. And if that is you, uh, you can come talk to me after the gathering or one of the connect cards somewhere around you. You can just check baptism or write baptism and drop it in the joy box, and we'd love to, to chat with you about that. So um, that is where we are at. And so uh, this weekend, you'll see a lot of us wearing the same shirt. Um, and as Keisto mentioned, it's because we have had Hinge Now Weekend, which is a weekend of ministering to our students where they can enjoy being with one another and sit under the Word of God um, and be formed, hopefully, to be more like Jesus. And so um, it has been a great weekend, and, and we're excited about that. And, and they've been going through the I am statements. These are the statements where Jesus, he's self-revelatory. He, he says who he is. I am the bread of life. And then the last one they just went through is John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so what, what Mitch told me that, that he had been sharing with our students is that he really wants them to have a foundation 
of their identity, of their existence, which is based not upon themselves, but upon Jesus. And so John 14, 6 leads us into John 10, which is where we'll be. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, please. John 10. And this is our, our namesake verse. So if, if you don't know how we got our name, you think, you know, people just name churches things, which is fine, I guess. Uh, we're not trying to be cool, uh, but, but the door comes from John 10. And so this is a very special verse to us. Our, our church is, is only for Jesus. We only have Jesus. There's nothing fancy or special about us, but we have him. And so he is the door, and so we want to be about him, and that's why we call the church that. And so the context of John 10, it's always dangerous to just kind of jump into a text without knowing what's going on outside of it. Jesus has just healed a blind man, and as is normally the case, the religious people are questioning Jesus. And so they're like, yeah, I'm not so sure who you are. And he's like, well, I am. That's who I am. And so he's declaring who he is to both the self-righteous religious people, the Pharisees, and also the sufferer, the blind man, who was formerly blind, and now he's, he can see. And so you, you see that Jesus comes for both the self-righteous sinner and the suffering sinner. And so he, he's, he's for both people. And um, here in this text, what we will see is, is really Jesus mixes his metaphors. He, he, he gives us two metaphors to consider him. And there's two dilemmas here two forks in the road, two decisions we must make in our lives that he presents to us. And if you forget everything that, that I say, hopefully you don't forget what Jesus says because these are the words of Christ. But here's the thing. Jesus is the only shepherd you can entrust with your soul. He is the only shepherd you can entrust with your soul. And so here's our text, John 10. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before him, before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. So this is the word of God. This is the word of the I am, the door, the shepherd. And so there's a tale of, of really two doors here. There's, there's two dilemmas. The first dilemma is the dilemma of the door. The question is this, how can I be saved? How can I enter the, the, the sheepfold? How can I enter to be a part of, of, of God's flock, his people? How can I be saved? And every one of us seeks justification. We all want to be made right. We want to be okay before God and before other people. We're all trying to do this. And, and you know this by, by a couple of things. One, look at your arguments. Why do we argue with people? Why do we bicker with people and try to be proved right? Why do we not just seek the, the, the best idea in the midst of a conflict? Of like, well, maybe I am wrong and maybe that, that makes sense. And so why are we not objective but very emotional in our arguments? It's because we're afraid of what that might mean for us. We're afraid that being wrong or being stupid or being sinful would, would declare us not okay. And so we try to argue and explain and justify. Our inner lawyer comes out. And so the other one is just our, our need to display our goodness to other people, to be, to be seen as a good person. When is the last time you did something really sacrificial for someone else? that no one knows about. Like you did it completely in the shadows, only you and God know about that. You see, we have this need to demonstrate our goodness. We want people to see us being good. And in this desire for, for justification, you can really, you, you want to be justified. That's not a wrong thing. But there's two ways to go about it. Self-justification or what the Bible would call salvation. And so if, if you're self-justifying, this is I must make myself okay. I must outwork my sinfulness. I must clean myself up. I must. And so we do this through, through various ways. One would be people judging. So you, you, you judge other people in your mind, in your heart, such that you would, would stand higher than them. I, I feel better about myself when I don't think you're great. And this usually doesn't come out by this like just total pharisaical judgmentalism, but we, we put icing on it. And so it's like, I, I, I'm not great. I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as them. So whoever your them is, you see yourself as higher than them and it makes you feel good about yourself. It makes you okay with yourself. It is self-justification through comparison. And so maybe it's not people judging for you. It probably is. But maybe it's people pleasing. You're like, well, that sounds harmless. Maybe you're that person that constantly needs to be okay in the eyes of others. Like you hate conflict. And so you're constantly like Ned Flanders and you're running around and you're being like super kind to people and oakley doakley and like, it's all good. Are we okay? Are we okay? Are we okay? And it seems real okay to do that because you're nice. But, and I can, I can, I can say this because I am that person. You're doing it not for them, but for you. 
You're being nice because you want them to approve of you. You're basically objectifying the person you're trying to please. I don't care about you. I just want you to like me. I don't really care about you at all, and so I just want you to approve, and it kind of helps justify me. And so, so that's a couple of ways. Another one is perfectionism for you hard chargers. It's, it's performing your way to being okay, to being enough. And this could be grades at school. It could be advancement at work. It could be the way your body looks. It could be your kids performing as the best mom, the best teacher. I'm accomplished, therefore I'm okay. I've proven myself to you, have I not? That's what perfectionism is. And again, it's a palatable sin. It's something that we're okay with culturally. It's like in a job interview. They're like, what's your you know, greatest weakness? You're like, well, I'm just a perfectionist. They're like, well, that's really not good because you're trying to justify yourself. And so that is one way, the DIY salvation way of seeking to justify yourself. Those are just three ways that we do it. We do it in a million ways. Or there's salvation, which is I am not okay. I need help. I need rescuing. I need cleansing. I need forgiveness. It is completely different from the first. Instead of a a God helps those who help themselves mentality, it's God help me. And so this is salvation. And this starts with supernatural conviction. And I say supernatural, it's not just you being sorry that you sin. It's not just you feeling guilty for something you did wrong or don't liking the consequences of it, but the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you of the reality of your sinfulness. So God helps you see who you truly are. Jesus says this in John 16. He's telling that that, that he's going to leave, but the Holy Spirit's going to come. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. You imagine how shocking that was to his people. I'm leaving and it's good because the Holy Spirit is going to come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. That is the essence of sin. It is unbelief concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. What Jesus says here is that I'm going to to be exalted at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to leave this earth. He was incarnate in the flesh just like you and me. And it's a good thing that I do that so that the Holy Spirit can come. And one of the main things that he's going to do is convict you of sin and of righteousness, what is right and what is wrong. He's going to help you see yourself. And so God must help us see ourselves by the power of the Spirit. And so if you think you're mostly good, if you think that you're not that bad, you're not perfect but not that bad, may may God show you who you truly are. 
and, and give you conviction, the gift of conviction. So after conviction, you can't skip that step, but, but after that comes confession. It's admitting verbally that, that this is who I am, this is what I've done, and that could be over a sin or over your condition in general as a sinner. And you might think, well, cool, sounds good. I'll tell God, and you should. But confession is also a communal thing. Confession is, is, is part of why we gather as a church, why Jesus has us together as a church. I confess to God, I confess to you. And so my sins aren't just something that I deal with with him, although the blood of Christ covers all sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, but confession is a communal activity. And so we have conviction, we have confession. After that comes repentance, which I know sounds like this ancient religious word of like, you know, whipping yourself on the back or wearing a hair shirt. People used to do that. Isn't that strange? It's turning. It's turning from your sin. It's being mortified by your sin, not the consequences, the sin itself of your stomach turning at your offense to God and saying, God, help me, rescue me, cleanse me, Jesus, forgive me. And so it's a radical thing to turn from sin and to run to God. It is an about face of the heart and we turn from sin and we turn to God, but you're not saved yet. Conviction and confession and repentance are, are good things, but you are not there until you fully rely upon Jesus until you fully rely upon his work and you stop trying to justify yourself and you fully throw yourself at his mercy, at his feet, and you trust in his work. Conviction, confession, repentance, faith. So how can you be saved? It is through Christ and Christ alone. And that is the first dilemma. You must make a choice this morning. Will you justify yourself or will you lean upon Christ for your justification? One is impossible. Jesus is the only way. So the second dilemma is who, who's your shepherd? Who's leading you through life? And you may say, I am my shepherd. There's this deal, I don't know, it's a, I think it's an Instagram channel or something. It's called Lions Not Sheep. And I don't know the guy, so I don't mean to judge the guy, but, but here's the deal. You may be a very aggressive, intimidating sheep, but you are not a lion. You are a sheep. You cannot feed yourself. You cannot clothe yourself. You cannot keep yourself existing on this earth. Your very existence is the gift of a sovereign God. You are not a lion. You are a sheep, and so am I. Maybe you're a more ferocious sheep, but probably not. You're probably just a little boy or a little girl underneath seeking the, the affirmation and the praise that you so badly need. And so you're posturing. And so you're, you're a sheep and you're being led by someone. And Jesus lays this out for us. You're either being shepherded by the thief or by the good shepherd. So the thief is Satan. In, in Ephesians 2, it talks about the prince of the power of the air. The thief steals from you. 
He offers you life. Sin is enticing, whatever that may be, sexual sin or, or greed or, or, or whatever it may be. It sounds good, it feels good almost, except for that it takes from you. The thief means to take from you. This thing is breaking, maybe. The thief has taken from this thing. Not used to this one. So he will take and he will kill. You know, in the, in the garden, Satan's having a conversation with Adam and Eve. God has said, hey, sin, sin will kill you. He says, it will not. It surely will not. And so he takes you by the hand and leads you down the path of what? Of destruction. The wages of sin is death, and the thief wants to shepherd you into your demise. That's the truth. And you can't blame the thief. So you might think, well, I'm not being shepherded by the thief. That's the stupidest thing ever. Like, I'm not, not a Satan worshiper. There's no seances going on in my backyard. When you're leading yourself, the thief is leading you. And you can't blame him. So you can never sin and say, Satan got a hold of me. He made me do it, ever. Because James 1 says this. It'll, it'll be on the screen. It says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, what, what great just imagery there. It gives birth to sin. And when sin fully grown, it brings forth death. So it's easy to go, you know, the devil made me do it. But the truth of the matter is, it's you choosing to lead yourself. And Satan, who is powerful, who is the prince of the power of the air, just takes you by the shoulder and says, let's do this. This is great. It's the path to destruction. And so the thief can lead you or Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Have you ever read Psalm 23? Go read Psalm 23. Jesus offers salvation through his shepherding. He offers that you would be saved through him. That's what he says. He says, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out. What does that mean? Well, it means covenantal inclusion. What does that mean? It means you're a part of the people of God. It means that through Christ, you can be a son or a daughter of the Most High, and you can simply go in and out in your life being shepherded by the good shepherd. Deuteronomy 6 talks about this, this as-you-go faith, this word in your mouth, this word in your heart as you lie down, as you rise, as you eat dinner, as you go to school, as you go to work. It's just this simply in and out, this covenantal inclusion of God saying, you're one of mine. Jesus says, I'll save you. You can go in and out and you can find pasture, you can find rest. How many of you are exhausted? Just worn out, spiritually, emotionally exhausted. And you don't know how long you can keep this up of just this exhaustion of, of trying to be good or trying to be sinless or trying to be okay or trying to prove yourself. Jesus offers you rest through reliance in him. 
He says, lay down in the green pastures of my shepherding. Stop trying to provide for yourself. Stop trying to fix yourself. Stop trying to forgive yourself. Seek me first. There's shalom there in Christ. And so how does he save? It's not enough to say that he does save. How does this happen? Well, he repeats in verse 11 and verse 15. He keeps repeating in the rest of this conversation. But he says, I am the good shepherd. The the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. That you are saved through through sacrifice, through payment. You see, God is good. He is just. The scales of justice must be balanced. It's not enough to just say, you're fine. It must be paid for. There must be a sacrifice. And so Jesus offers himself. And so he does not ask you to outwork your sinfulness or cover it up. He is not telling you to try to be a Christian. If I were to ask you, hey, are you a Christ follower? You're like, I'm, I'm trying to be. That's, that's not an answer. You either have Christ or you do not have Christ. He either has you or he does not have you. And so you don't have to try to be perfect if you're in Christ. He's perfect on your behalf. His perfect record of righteousness, his spotlessness can be yours. So stop trying to be Jesus. You're not. He's perfect for you, and you don't have to pay for your sin. You don't have to pay penance. Do enough good to outweigh the bad. That doesn't work. All of your sins, all of your sins can be nailed to the cross, paid for in full. You don't have to fear this this thing that's coming for all of us. You don't have to fear death. Are you afraid to die? Do you remember that you will? I forget it all the time. But you don't have to fear death because he died in your place and he rose and the check cleared. Jesus is who he said he was. So you don't need to fear. And so his sacrifice is your salvation when you trust in him fully. And so what does that look like? What does it look like to fully trust in Jesus? You might go, well, maybe I, I, I think I do. Do I? Well, who does he save? Who, who's in? So in Exodus 12, there's this thing called the Passover. God is bringing the judgment down on Egypt, which they deserve. They're enslaving his people. He's kind of had enough of them. And so he, he's going to come through. The angel of death is going to come through and take all the firstborn of all the people. And God says, you need a covering. So he says, find a lamb and, and slay that lamb. Kill the lamb. And take its blood and put it on your doorpost of your homes. That way, the angel of death will know you've been paid for. It's, it's finished for you. And so the angel of death will pass on. And that's exactly what happened. And so I just want you to, to picture for a moment. There's, there's three people in a house with blood over the doorframe. 
There's a doubter. There's someone who's like, man, I don't know about all this blood on the door jam stuff, but this is really scary because I've seen all these plagues and I, I, don't, I don't know what else to do. And so I'm, I'm just here. They lack faith. They have questions. They're not even sure about all this. Then you've got a dictator. You've got a tyrant, someone who has a lot of power, who steps on people, who does not care about other people, who is very high and lifted up in their mind. If you've been here for our Daniel series, it's, it's King, uh, not Neb, because Neb actually has a point of conviction. Let's say it's King Belshazzar. It's like, I'm the man. And I don't know how I got here, but I'm here because, again, this is a little scary and a little weird. And so one of my aides told me to come here. So you've got a doubter who lacks faith. You've got a dictator who lacks righteousness. And then they didn't have deacons back then because they weren't installed yet. Let's say a man like Danny's there, scripturally qualified, good character. And he's there. He's like, man, I, this is what God said. So what God says I'm going to do. So you got three of them inside this house with blood over the door jam. Which one of them is saved? Yes. Why is that? Because the blood of the lamb is sufficient to cover for them. The blood of the lamb covers their unrighteousness. The blood of the lamb spares their lives. It does not matter who they are when they came in there. It matters about the blood on the door jam. And so if you're thinking that you can earn your way to God or, or, or earn your way into the house of, of shalom, of rest, of rescue, you're not resting in Christ. And so entrust him with your soul. He is the only way. He is the only door to salvation. He is the only shepherd that can lead your soul through life and through death. You simply cover yourself with the blood of Christ over the door jam of yourself and you hide in him. So trust in him. And, and some of you need to repent and be baptized. That's why we mentioned baptism. That's the response when, when in the New Testament people were cut to the heart. They came under conviction. They heard the gospel. They heard what you just heard. And they're cut to the heart and they're like, what do we do? Very simple. Repent, run from your sin and be baptized. Go under the water, signifying that you are dead to sin. Come out of the water, emerge from the water to the newness of life, signifying you are alive in Christ and you will be alive in him forevermore. And so repent and be baptized. If you want to talk about that, please come talk to me. But if you forgot everything else that, that I've said, hopefully you don't forget what Jesus has said, but remember this. Jesus is the only shepherd you can entrust with your soul. So trust him. Let's pray. Jesus, we are sheep. You know that. I just, I just admit that for all of us. We are. We wander. 
we, we, we need. We try to wander off into pastures that we think will give us rest and they don't. And So many of us are, are, are we're tired. And we're tired not just because we're tired, but we're tired because we're tired of trying to, to be okay with us. To be okay with who we see in the mirror by our standard. Jesus, you are so merciful. You don't say, clean yourself up and then come to me. You don't say, prove that you're worthy. You don't say, I know what you've done. How could you come to me? But you lay your life down for us. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Holy Spirit, I I just ask you that you would convict us of sin and righteousness. That we would truly see the condition of our souls, truly see our need, that we're not okay. That we need cleansing. And help us to see the sufficiency of the salvation that Jesus offers. Help us to see Christ this morning. Help us to walk through the door of salvation by trusting in him. And now, Lord, as we get to sing, amplify our praise. Let us open our mouths and our hearts to praise you for your worthy Jesus. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.